You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our week three of our sermon series entitled All That Matters. Okay, we've been talking about finances, we've been talking about wealth, we've been talking about possessions, and somehow the way that Jesus has expounded on this matter because he realized that we are always concerned about wealth, possessions, money. We think about it pretty regularly. Today we're going to be shifting to the book of Mark and... It's interesting also that this particular book has a lot to say about finances. In fact, if you go in journey from Mark chapter 10, it seems like every chapter thereon has something to do about money. He picked it up, Mark chapter 10 talked about the rich young ruler as well. Mark chapter 11, he was overturning the tables of the money changer because he said to them, you know, how dare you turn this house into a house of robbers and this ought to be a house of prayer. And how many of you know that the synagogue, the temple courts, was really designed for that, for them to worship the Lord? However, some religious people took advantage of the religious system and has converted them into a way of them enriching themselves. We also find in the later chapter, chapter 12, Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees and with the scribes on how you know, we ought to pay taxes and he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. In the later portion of chapter 12 of Mark, that's what we're going to be picking up this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, would you kindly open to the book of Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. And we will actually be talking about a very familiar text or passage, a very familiar story that many of you have heard, probably even when you were a young kid. Mark 12:38-244. And in his teaching, he said, "Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation." In verse 41, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything. She had all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. We ask, our God, that you would bless the preaching of your word. And we ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. May our hearts be like this poor widow who would constantly give everything that we've got to worship and to be devoted to you. We thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you have heard of that particular story, you know, like sometime in the past? The poor widow, widow's mite in another translation, two copper coins in this particular translation. And this sermon is hope to bring encouragement for some of us who have very little to use what we have in order to worship the Lord. Now, this also... I guess in no way that Jesus is trying to discount the fact that God uses the rich as well. But yet, if 
you are in that particular category, I believe that it is a challenge for us to use our wealth in order for us to not take advantage of the poor and the marginalized, but also to use our wealth in order to advance and honor God in all our dealings. So we may be on one side or the other side, but Jesus is somehow using this to highlight something that is not normally being noticed by the human eye. You know, he's not making a distinction that, you know, it's better for you to be poor and all you who are rich, you'll go to hell. I don't think that is the message of God. Amen. This message is really something that we need to talk about because I believe this is so much relevant for us today. You know, there's so many applications for this particular message. In fact, this is the final week of Jesus' journey here on earth. It was Holy Week. You know, you could consider this as Holy Wednesday. In fact, in a couple of days, he will be betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, with 30 pieces of silver. Another money issue in the gospel. And so we see that in this particular story that there's so many applications of wealth and money. And so Jesus took the time to train and teach his disciples with eternal truth and how he can explain that money is an indicator of our spiritual condition of the heart. In this particular case, he was in the temple complex taking his disciples for a brief field trip. That is a very familiar scene for all of them. He was going through the different parts of that temple and he couldn't help but notice so many people taking their time to give. Before we go into that story of the widow, I'd like to explain the context because last week we talked about hypocrisy. Remember the lesson last week on the seven woes and how Jesus really hated religious hypocrisy. And so he started rebuking and correcting the Pharisees and he was highlighting, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites, woe to you, you whitewashed sepulchers full of dead man's bones, white on the outside, dead on the inside. Woe to you, you brood of vipers. How many of you would like Jesus to have that sermon every Sunday? <laughs> wow. But that's you know, something that he used in order for him to address hypocrisy and religiosity. And here we see again that Jesus is highlighting this same issue in this book of Mark. That before he talked about the widow, he was talking about the scribes. He was talking about religious people. In fact, in the previous verses, you know, as I was just going through some of the chapters, the scribes and the chief priests and the elders of the church were planning on destroying him and gang up on him. It is towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, and they were all planning and plotting on how they can destroy and kill him. And you can see that in Mark 11, verse 27. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders came to him. They're attacking him. And in um, Mark chapter 12, we see that in verse 13. In Mark chapter 12, verse 18. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And so on and so forth. So this is mainly an attack of the religious people. And so he said, let me highlight on what you are doing also, guys. And so he said, you know, in the teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. In other words, he was basically emphasizing the fact that these guys 
are more after recognition and honor. In fact, self-glorification is what I can call that. You know, when you talk about long robes, you know, this is not really the robe that you see during the weddings of the bride. The Pharisees, the scribes, they want to have flowing robes. You know, they want to be able to show them, you know, selves as people of authority. If you have a robe, it's, it's a robe of authority. It's a robe of honor. Remember, Joseph was given a robe by his dad. It's a coat of honor. But yet, the Pharisees and the scribes, they want to flaunt it. They want to be able to show that they are important people. And so they're more concerned about what people say more than what God will say. Long robes. In fact, I believe that if they go into a restaurant, they probably need to reserve a table because, you know, they need like three chairs in order for them to put the robes on top of those three chairs. It's so long that it will actually trip waiters in that particular restaurant. They like to be greeted in public places. They like the place of prominence. They like to be recognized. They want the honor that is associated with the title. They want the best seats in the synagogues. In other words, they want to be treated special or extra special. If they're not seated in a certain place, they're going to get angry. They're going to get mad. They have a place reserved for them. They are so used to places of honor at feasts, they consider themselves better than others. They are so full of themselves, puffed up, in other words, in order that they can actually show forth that they are people chosen by God. Now, what this text is saying is, it's not saying that we shouldn't give honor to whom honor is due. It is not saying that. Jesus and even the Apostle Paul is saying, give honor to those whose honor is due. In fact, from God Himself, the fifth commandment is what? Honor your father and mother. So, it is not wrong for you to honor somebody. What is wrong is that you try to get the honor for yourself. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they live for honor. They live to get that. They live for the spotlight. Honor is actually given. It is never earned. Wait for people to give you honor. Don't work for honor. Honor means value. We need to honor our spouse. We need to honor our wife, our husband. We need to honor our kids. We need to honor people around us. But if we ourselves live for that and crave for that and you know, somehow do self-glorification, then there's something wrong there. What I want to highlight is the next verse. In verse 40, before we talk about widows, Jesus, in the previous verse, is talking about the scribes devouring widows' houses. Widows in that particular time and era in New Testament Jerusalem, they're vulnerable. You know, not like today, if there's a single mom, for example, they can probably find a job somewhere. They can do some like home business. But in those days, widows that were left behind by their husbands they're helpless. If they lose a husband, they lose their security. They lose a way or a means of supporting themselves and their children. That's why there's a Mosaic law that if a brother is left behind and a widow has no children, a brother has to step in and marry the widow in order for him to continue the legacy of the brother who passed away. It's very Jewish. It's the culture is Jewish. Okay? And so 
In this particular case, it says, they devour widows' houses because the scribes during the time, they provide counsel for widows. In fact, what they do sometimes is they provide estate planning. And what they would do is they would actually suggest to widows that it's better for you to give your retirement or your legacy that your husband left behind to the temple. And they have their own personal interest with the wealth of the widow. So instead of them helping out a widow, they take advantage of the poor widow. And God hates that. How many of you know that God hates injustice? Especially the poor and the marginalized, the orphans and the widows. We can't really allow injustice to happen in our church nor in our society. That's why they actually do a pretense of making long prayers in order for them to put up a facade or a front so that the widow can trust them. They would actually offer to them long prayers. But this is what Jesus told about them. They will receive the what? Greater condemnation. In the NIV, it says, these men will suffer more severely. Injustice somehow is big in the heart of God. Especially if you talk about little people, marginalized, the poor, those who are helpless. Because when they cry, God hears their cries. And so at the end, of course, we know that judgment will come to them. You know, an example for this is like the Boodle Boodle Gang or something like that. The Boodle Boodle Gang is actually a syndicate wherein they post to be a friend of somebody who's not in the house and then they, you know, lie and the unsuspecting victims, whether it's an old person, would actually be conned and they will be, you know, their savings will be taken away from them. And so that's similar to that story. There are three things that I want to highlight in this particular story of Jesus with the widow. First thing is, Jesus watches how people give. In fact, in verse 41, it says, and he sat down. He didn't just pass and looked. He sat down opposite the treasury. He wanted to sit in the front row. Jesus wanted to make sure that people's hearts were right when they were giving. He took the time to watch and he took the time to call his disciples to watch somehow, to observe and learn a lesson from this particular story. It says here, he watched the people putting money in the offering box. I believe that Jesus really observes and evaluates the way we give. And the Lord exclaimed, Truly I say to you, this widow has given more than the others. You know, he has a gauge, certain way of gauging how we all give. How many of you know that Jesus is not an accountant, but yet he knew for a fact if you've given the best offerings to the Lord? Amen. We're not even talking about the actual amounts here. We're talking about the issue of the heart. We're talking about the condition of the heart. Jesus was watching. And yes, there were rich people who are giving a large sum. And there was this poor little widow who's not even sure if she wanted to give that particular day. Because in those days, the offerings are not put in an envelope. You don't have checks. There's no bills. In the first century Jerusalem, the way they give their offerings is rather loud. You know exactly who's giving how much and who's giving little. So some people are probably entering that synagogue 
And there are like 13 different offering boxes. And I'm going to show you a short video to give you an idea of how it looks like. Of the truth. I say unto you that this poor widow had cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. So you get the idea of how it was done. The offerings during that time, they have 13 cylindrical trumpet-like metal containers that falls into a big offering box. And what they do is they use coins, and there are different values of coins used in first century Jerusalem. You've got denarius, you've got shekels, and you've got different currencies. The larger the value, the louder the sound. Can you imagine, like, for example, if you've got rich people, you've got to wait because they will be pouring in their offering. What some would do is they would not just take their bags filled with coins and just dump it all in. But what they would do is they would enjoy the show and show people how much money they're actually giving. So if they're giving, like, I don't know, worth 2,000, 5,000 US dollars for that particular offering, it'll take time. You've got to learn to wait and maybe line up. Jesus ultimately watches the condition of our hearts when we give. He was watching them. He was watching the rich people. He was watching the poor people. He was not rebuking the rich people. That's not what he was doing. He was just highlighting that this widow gave more than what the others gave combined. He was not saying that she gave more than this particular millionaire in Jerusalem during that time. Or this rich tycoon that gave his offering that day. No, what, what he was saying is this widow gave more than all of them combined. I mean, how is that possible? How can two little copper coin be more than the others? As Jesus looks, he's really more interested in the condition of our heart when we give. In fact, the bank of heaven is not preoccupied with the size of the gift. Because sometimes you think that the bigger the gift, the better it is. Now, it really depends on what God has given to us. In fact, David, when he was dedicating the temple, I think in Second Chronicles, he was praying to God and he said, you know, Lord, whatever I have is yours. And I only give back to you what came from you in the first place. He was acknowledging that all the money that he had and all the money used for the temple, everything came from the Lord himself. So he's giving back to God what was due God and out of the abundance of what God has given to David, he's just giving that abundance to God. Now, David is not a poor man. David is a rich man, but he used his wealth to worship God. Amen. So that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm not talking about you becoming poor. I'm talking about the condition of our heart. That if we are to worship the Lord, we don't just worship God through songs. We actually worship the Lord through giving as well. In fact, in the Old Testament, they don't have songs in the offering, but they have giving in the offering. They have worship. 
They have offerings for worship. They have different types of worship. Grain offering, peace offering. So that's part of their worship unto the Lord. God is never impressed with size. We are, but He's never impressed with size. Sometimes you look at what people wear. And I'm pretty sure that you know during that time, when Jesus called the disciples, maybe they enjoyed it. Because they're now guessing, okay, let's guess who is going to be the biggest giver. Let's check the biggest giver. So when they saw somebody who was wearing a, I don't know, an LV bag or a Chanel bag, okay, maybe, maybe this person is be the biggest giver. Maybe somebody who's wearing a designer clothes or somebody who's wearing an expensive watch or something like that. Maybe that guy would be the biggest giver. They were kind of impressed with what people are on the outside, but God is never impressed because He always looks at the condition of the heart. Man looks at the outside appearance. God always looks at the heart. Ultimately, the accountancy of heaven has another way of measuring its asset, and it's never in absolute terms. And so here you see that that's exactly what the offering boxes are all about. And you could actually not just watch the offering, but you can hear the offering. Secondly, Jesus honors sacrificial giving. First, he watches the way people give. Secondly, Jesus honors sacrificial giving. And here we see that in Mark chapter 12, verse 41b, the second part, many rich people put in large sums, and there's a contrast or comparison of the givers in this particular verses. And in verse 42, the opposite was highlighted. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Rich people, large sums. Poor widow, two copper coins. Mark was doing his literary style of comparing or contrasting to highlight the spiritual truth that Jesus wants to teach us. That it's not about the absolute sum that you're giving, but really the condition of the heart. Now the Pharisees, the leaders basically use their pride and their hypocrisy in the way they give, in their pompness, and in order for them to show people that they are actually obeying God and honoring Him through their money. Now, these are the different coins of the gospel at that time. You've got the silver shekel, which is the biggest in currency. It's worth four denarii. Now, one denarius is one day's wage. There's a silver half shekel. It's worth two denarii. There's the silver denarius, and this can actually buy about 15 pounds of wheat during that time. And then you've got the smaller coins. And these are called the bronze pruta. So the bronze pruta is actually one over 64th equivalent of a denarius. A really small currency. And guess what? You have a bronze lepton which is even smaller than that currency which is half of the bronze pruta. That's exactly what the widow's mite gave, a lepton. A lepton is equivalent to one-half pruta. And if you're going to compute in today's wage, how much is today's wage daily? I think it's now 500. I think it's going to be 500 to 530 pesos per day. That's the new daily wage of a worker. Now, if you have one denarius, which is equivalent to 500 pesos, then one pruta is equivalent to 7.8 pesos, then one lepton is equivalent to 3.91, converted into today's Philippine currency rates or standards. Now, 
you can imagine the poor widow giving this 780 pesos in the offering. And somehow what Jesus said is, this widow gave more. And you see that in verse 43. And he called his disciples to him. Hey guys, come here. So that was like a teaching moment for Jesus and the disciples. He said, truly I say to you. In another translation, it says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. It simply means amen. Very truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. And as I said earlier, he's not just comparing this widow, the giving of one particular individual, but everybody there in that temple that day, she gave the entire amount, which is really more than them proportionately. Jesus' principle here shows us that before God, the spirit of giving determines the value of the gift more than the amount. It's not really about the amount, but it's really the condition of our heart. And that poor widow, basically, as she was going through her day, if she was unsure of giving, but somehow she gave everything she's got, and she honored the Lord with her wealth. What God does want from us is not to give out of obligation, not to give begrudgingly, not to give out of guilt, because God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And ultimately, I think that's where many of us are. I believe God is pleased with the way you and I give. But yet, we continue to examine our hearts just like Jesus is highlighting with the disciples. And no matter how close sometimes you are to Jesus, how many of you know that sometimes there's a Judas that crops up? And the love of money is going to just creep in. And so, he took the time to be able to discuss this with his disciples. In verse 44, it says, For they all contributed... Out of their abundance, another comparison, another contrast. The first contrast was rich people, large sum, poor widow, two copper coins. In this particular case, verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In fact, her capacity was so limited, but yet her attitude was so limitless. She touched heaven. With her very heart. In fact, this particular case, all she had to live on talks about the Greek word bios, meaning life. You know, but this particular situation, the live on, the translation is the bios, the daily sustenance, the daily thing that she needs. And she gave everything that she needed on for that day. What she was really doing is she was not just giving her money to the Lord, she was giving her full trust to the Lord. But she is saying, Lord, you'll take care of me as I put this thing in the offering. And how many of you know that God will definitely take care of His people? Amen. In fact, the rich people gave money that they will never miss. It's probably just a portion of their wealth. But the widow gave an offering that she can never afford. She gave beyond what she can actually fulfill and what can support herself already. In fact, our giving is not measured by the sum but by the sacrifice that is involved in the giving. Our giving is not measured by God by the strength of the amount, but measured by God proportionately to what we have behind. You know, I don't want this to be self-serving, but, you know, just two Saturdays ago, we had, of course, our anniversary service, and we were fortunate and blessed to be able to give an ambulance to the city of Muntinlupa. And, you know, I want to be able to share this story, but just to highlight, because... Even the givers, these are not all rich people. And I was even challenged by the faith of a young 12-year-old kid. 
who gave sacrificially and she gave all she had and all her savings. She was doing a little bit of little business and all she earned, she said, I'm going to give it to the ambulance as we raise up money for Love the City, Operation Life. And that particular kid that gave is actually my daughter. I asked Shirley if I can share this because I'm very careful not to highlight this because it's, I don't want this to fall back into our credit. But as I share this, I was the one asking her, Andrea, are you sure that you want to give this amount? Maybe what you're thinking is the tithe of what you have earned from your little business. And I remember she telling me this the day before she handed that money, I remember, to Bodhi here one Sunday morning. And she said, no, I want to give the entire amount, Dad. This is for the ambulance unit for the city of Montinlupa. She emptied everything that she's got. And I kind of remember this little widow who gave everything. And I said to Andrea, Andrea, I know that as you put your trust in the Lord in giving for the ambulance, I know God will take care of you. Even a little kid can do this. And she challenged my faith as well in giving everything we've got for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And lastly, as we prepare to close, sacrificial giving is a proof of our devotion and worship to God. Ultimately, we see that if you are walking in a path of willingness to empty yourself, I believe that's an act, a spiritual act of worship. Sacrificial generosity, as I said earlier, is never based on the amount. You know, it is first recognizing that God was generous to us and that He was the one who gave us everything that we have anyway. And so I believe that you can never give something that is not yours. And you can never give something out of the fear that the future will not be safe. But I believe that some people can be reckless in their giving and they can actually fully be abandoned to God because they actually have put their trust in God Himself. You know, a person's giving is an outward indicator of the internal spiritual condition of his heart. Ultimately, the way we give is directly proportional to the way you trust God. Matthew says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Remember the account of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 1. And he was talking about the story of a particular church who's suffering poverty and who's suffering so much trials, and yet they wanted to participate in this grace called giving. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace. He was highlighting the grace that was found in this church. And what is that kind of grace? Is it grace that they're saved? It's another kind of grace. Grace that they're saved has been given already as, you know, it's assumed that they have it. But yet another kind of grace was given to the Macedonian churches. In verse 2, it says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. Now check out the formula. The formula is most severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. It doesn't make sense. How can a poor church be richly generous to the benefit of the saints in that particular time? It was because of the heart condition that they had. It was a grace that the Apostle Paul was describing. In fact, in verse 3, he continued by saying, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They were not pressured. They were not pushed. They were not coerced. It was a voluntary thing. 
they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How many of you know that giving is a privilege? It is a grace. It is also a privilege. It is not law. Giving was appreciated before God gave the laws to Moses. We see the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, giving to the Lord. Abel offering his best sacrifice to the Lord. It is a grace. It is a privilege. It is an act of worship. It is a proof of our devotion to the Lord. But how can these saints called the Macedonian church really give of something that is beyond their ability to give? I believe the secret is found in verse 5. And in verse 5, it says, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. What is the first thing that we give to the Lord? Not money. Give yourselves first. I think it will be difficult for us to give our money if we don't give ourselves first to the Lord. But the moment you start giving yourself to the Lord in the same way that God has given Himself to us in the first place, everything else is no longer a hindrance. We can give anything to Him. Amen. In fact, He is our greatest treasure. I can give anything. I don't need anything because Jesus is our treasure. If we can give ourselves first, that is the beginning point of generosity. Giving away money is easy, but giving oneself sacrificially is actually more difficult. When you give money, you can write a check and then that's it. We can forget about it. But when God requires us to come before Him and offer ourselves as sacrifice, that is the ultimate sacrificial giving that He is expecting of us. What matters? Yes, our offering matters to God. But I think what matters more to God is our heart, the condition of our hearts, the sacrifice of oneself, not just your sacrifice or offering or tithes to the Lord, but it's us first giving of ourselves to God and really surrendering our lives to Him and saying, God, I'm yours. Because our devotion should always be accompanied by sacrifices. In fact, David said this when there was a plague in Israel and he was praying to the Lord and it stopped at that particular field of Arauna or Arona. And Arauna is actually just giving the property. No, just take it, king, because this is for the kingdom. And David said, I will not get anything that which costs me nothing. And he said, I will sacrifice to the Lord that which has cost me something. And I think when we offer our lives to the Lord in sacrifice, God will be pleased. Amen. And my last verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Really, the worship that we give to God is, yeah, it's more than finances. The reality is God does not need our money. And I think one of the things that you need to hear from us as a church is, we're not after your money. In fact, that's one of the things that hinders people from coming to church because they think that, okay, this church is just all about money. Look at the facilities that they have. You know, you know they, they think that it's all about money. It's all about wealth. It's all about offerings. We're not going to take an offering right now. In fact, we give instead of just receiving. When we serve people and when we hear people in the hospital, we send them flowers. We send them fruits. We don't charge anything. We don't ask the small group leader, does this person tithe first? We don't care. 
we just send prayers. We send something there. We do dedication service for free. We go out and do weddings for free. We don't charge you anything. Sometimes you do weddings that are out of town. But we do it because of love. We do it because we want to serve. When you are in the hospital, we, we visit. When there's a need for benevolence for some people who cannot pay tuition money, who cannot have grocery, or maybe their electricity bill has been cut, the church is there to serve and to help and to give. That's the reality of church. You look at the first century church and the first century church in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 16, they were taking care of the needs of widows. And I believe God gave us that particular mandate and stewardship that we need to take care of the people that are poor and marginalized in our community. And we do give that. We take things seriously. In the fear of God, we manage our finances. And we are praying that we will be the best stewards of the wealth of God that He has entrusted to us. We're not after your wealth. In fact, if you think that, please don't give. God does not need your money. But we give simply because we love God and we want to worship God. When we say you give, we're not exempt from giving. The pastors are not exempt from giving. We're the first ones who pledged for the building. We just bought our property again in the, you know, in, if I may say this, in Katipunan. The staff and the pastors, once again, are the first ones to do the pledge. May we be the widows and the widow's might that we give. It may not be not that much, but we are giving out of love and out of ourselves and out of, not out of abundance, out of a grateful heart that God has called us. Amen. Let's all stand up right now. I believe we can give sacrificially because Jesus gave it all to us. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, God, thank you, Lord, that you first gave. That's why we can give of ourselves to you, Lord. You did not withhold anything from us, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, that out of your love, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and gave of his life sacrificially. He was the Lamb of God who died, who shed his blood, the only one who can take away the sins of the world. We thank you for that, Lord, and we're forever grateful for who you are in our lives. And with all this, we give of ourselves to you once again. We surrender. Can we just lift up our hands before the Lord before we sing this song? Father God, we are lifting up our hands. Just like the Macedonian church, God, we are offering ourselves back to you first. Before giving anything, God, we offer ourselves back to you. You are our Lord. We put our trust in your hands, God. Our life is in your hands. Our family is in your hands. Our business is in your hands. Our finances, they're in your hands. Our job is in your hands. Our occupation is in your hands. Our talents, our skills, our ability, Lord, they are in your hands. And we give them back to you. Be glorified, be honored, Lord, in Jesus' name.